Welcome to Storehouse Dallas. So, praise God. Let's go. Amen. Come on. All right, turn in your Bibles to um, John chapter 14. So, again, we're doing a summer on abiding. Why are we doing, why am I doing a summer on abiding? Why are we doing a summer on abiding? Because, again, Psalm 91 isn't like a magic scripture. It applies to those who abide. It is a if and then scripture to those that abide, you will participate in this safety. You will participate in this power. You will participate in this covering. You will participate in, in this boldness, in this honoring, in this long life. So that is why we're going to cover it. Now, in our last session, we looked at um, John 15 and the glorious relationship of abiding in Christ and, and everything that that means. And so I encourage you, if you haven't um, been a part of it, if you didn't listen to it, I, I encourage you to go and, um, and listen to John 15. John 15 is a twofold abiding. Jesus made a point in John 15 how central this was to biblical Christianity. In fact, this is the only biblical Christianity. Anything outside of abiding is not biblical Christianity. It's just a bunch of rules. It's just religion. And I got to tell you, I did not sign up for that. Why? Because I was wild on the other side of Christianity. And I want to be wild for Jesus. And that only comes through love. And it only comes from abiding in love. It is the fuel for the bride before his return. All right, so let's look at John 14, verse 1. The context that Jesus is giving them is this. He is saying to them, he frames it in this way. Let not your heart be troubled. So he's about to leave. He's about to die. He's about to be hung on the cross. He already knows what's about to happen. Play by play by play. He's already got it. He's already seen it. It's a movie. He's already seen it. He knows, and so what he's saying, he starts off in, in, in chapters 14, 15, 16, and 17, and he's telling them the deep things that they need to know before he goes, and he, and he goes back to be with the Father. And so he frames chapter 14 with, a transition is coming. Do not let your heart be troubled. And today, we're living in a time where a transition is coming. And I believe that he's saying the same thing to this generation. Do not let your heart be troubled. And here is what's going to help you through the chapter that I'm about to, we're about to go through, okay? He says this, let your, not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. 
And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again to myself. I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you will be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. All right, let's stop there. So it's really interesting. So he, he, uh, he's talking to his disciples, right? So he's having a dialogue with them. It's not just him preaching on the on the uh, on uh, the Mount of Olives. It's not just him uh, training them, but he's actually having a dialogue. He's sitting there at at the Last Supper. He's sitting there at the dinner table with them, and he's sharing this with them. And so Thomas said to him, "Lord, we don't know where you're going. How and how can we know the way?" And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except me. So it's very interesting um, what he's saying here. So he's talking about this. He's talking about two primary themes here in this particular section. He's saying to them, I'm going to go away, and I'm going to go away. If you believe in me, then I am going to go away and I'm going to prepare a place for you. So he's talking about first, the first place that he's talking about preparing for them is a place that there is your eternal home. He's saying, I am going and I'm preparing a place and it's going to be beautiful, glorious. It is going to be the new Jerusalem, the city of God. And in the city of God, you're going to have a dwelling place there. It is a physical location that will actually be on the earth when the Lord returns and the new Jerusalem comes down to the earth where you will dwell in your transformed body and live forever with him. And so that's the first thing he's talking about. He's like, listen, I'm going to go and I'm going to prepare a place for you. That place for you is in me. And and it, I'm, it, I have made a room for you. There are many mansions. Um, and in this place, you will dwell with me forever. And then he says this, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, you will be also. And so that's the second thing that he is saying. The second uh, concept that he is introducing to them. The first is, is when you go, when you die, your eternal life you're actually going to have a life beyond that. But the other is while you're still here on the earth, I'm actually going to leave. But when I leave, I'm going to draw you to myself. And they're thinking, what are you saying? You have to understand that they do not understand salvation at this point. They do not understand the born-again experience at this point because it's never been seen. Conceptually, you can't understand the born-again experience. We can because we know the testimonies of so many people that have had this kind of encounter and this kind of experience. But for them, they have no idea what he's talking about. And so before he even gets into Chapter 15, which is the practical working out of what this is going to look like for them, he's got to introduce the concept of being born again. And so that's what he's doing here in verse 14. 
So he says to them, I am going to leave physically and in place of my physical interaction with you that you have known for three and a half years, right? Now you, I am going to establish, you are going to be established in a new spiritual relationship with the Father. I will actually go deeper with you in relationship in this new form and in this new man that's going to be created. Even more so than it was when I was in the flesh. So even though, number one, you're going to be resurrected physically, you're going to be resurrected in your physical body. He said that's going to happen. But number two, you're going to be resurrected in your spiritual body. So the Father's house has many mansions. Why? Because he's got a really big family. Think about that. I don't know about you, but I already have plans for my mansion. I'm like, I'm looking on Pinterest. I've got like the father's house pinned, and I'm thinking, okay, I want to be overlooking like a crystal clear lake. You know, I want kind of outdoor patio. I want this kind of furniture. Come on, ladies, work with me. You know what I'm talking about. So he talks about this house. And the beauty of this house in the New Jerusalem. And then the second truth, he says, is the Holy Spirit coming and creating the new man. And that's going to happen right now. But again, they're still thinking. You have to understand, you've got these fishermen. They don't have the Holy Spirit yet. They don't have the inspiration of the Holy Spirit yet. So what are they thinking to themselves? I already had the plan worked out in my brain. Okay, so you are going to come, and the kingdom is going to be, you're going to kick out the Romans. We're going to reestablish the kingdom. That's what I know. Remember King David? He had the kingdom, all of Israel and Judah and every nation around it. They conquered, and they lived in peace, and it was called the golden years, and that's going to be established again, and that's what they had in their minds. How many of you have, like, received a promise from the Lord and you got it all worked out in your mind about how it's going to go down? And, like, not one time did it ever happen that way. Like, not once. Oh, your ways are higher than our ways. So that's kind of what's going through their mind right now. So Jesus is trying to bring them into his truth. And so he says, he goes on and he, he says this to them. In verse 5 or 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. All right, so he's saying to them, my physical relationship with you, my physical presence in relating to me in this way is going to be replaced by a new spiritual relationship with my father. And that relationship that I have with my father is actually the same relationship that you're going to have with my father. I am the way to get there. So he says these three things to them. I'm the way. 
I died on the cross. I made the way. There's no other way. And so we think about this scripture. You know, this is penned a lot on refrigerators. He is the way, the truth, and the life, right? And so we're like, okay, yeah, it's the way to salvation. But there's so much more than just salvation here. But primarily, he is saying the only way to get to the Father is through the Son. That's how connected we are relationally that the only way to, and any other way, he considers us thieves. I know so many people that are saying, hey, there's a lot of different ways to, the, to God. You don't actually have to go through Jesus. And this whole one world relig- religion thing is actually going to come become more prevalent. And so when we say, no, 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 Jesus is the only way, we're going to be tremendously persecuted. That's why we have to focus on this. We have to meditate on this. We have to get this in us and say, this is such the absolute truth that there's nothing else that that can compare. And we have to be able to communicate it in a real and legitimate way. So again, you've got you've got Thomas, and we're about to to see what Philip has to say, but they're like, we don't follow what you're saying. All right. Where are you going? Where are you going? What do you mean you're leaving? Where are you going? And so they're probably thinking to themselves, oh, what city are you going to? How can we follow you to that place? And so they haven't grasped that what he's saying is that he's actually going to die, and then he's going to be with the Father. But they're about to, to, um, to hear this. So he said, I'm the way. Not only is this the death on the cross, that made a way for us to get to the Father. But he said, I'm the way. I'm the way that you get to where you're going. I am the way. So each one of us, God has written our story. It says in the book of Revelation, chapter 19 or 20, he said that that there is actually a book that he will open up at the end of the age. Two books. One book is the book of life to see if you're in there. The second, he said, are the books will be opened. You have a book and a story that was written of your life. While Jesus was on the earth, his story is written right here. Now his story is being written through you, and you and Jesus have a story that's been written. And so he's going to look at that book, and he's going to say, did you follow the lines along the pages of the book that I wrote for you. Because the only way to do that is through my son. I am the way. Any other way is actually illegal, and you'll get off the page. Then he said this, I am the truth. Jesus showed the truth. Now, we think to ourselves, okay, the truth. Well, the word of God in heaven, access heaven, transform earth. So the truth, right? The plumb line. That is true. But in this place here, in this scripture, he's talking about the relationship between him and the Father. And he's saying, I am the truth. That, he's saying the only way for you to understand love 
and relationship is through this truth and this love relationship that I have with the Father. That is the only thing. Jesus is love. God is love. He is the only one that has the authority to define what love is. And so he says, this truth is only going to come through the relationship between the family. This is a family dynamic that's happening. You're being brought into the story of the love affair between the father and the son. And don't get freaked out that I said love affair. Look, we love our son. I mean, the, the, the love that happens in our family between father and son typically looks like wrestling. I don't understand it, but it's a guy thing, you know? But, and, a, and, a, and, a, and, and a love between a father and a daughter looks like safety. It looks like protection. It looks like words of affirmation, right? And so he's saying the only way to know this truth is not in the flesh, but it is in the spirit. It is through listening to me, abiding with me, loving me. It's everything that happens behind the scenes, okay? Do you know, like if you looked at, at, at the world right now, you would have a measure, you would only understand a measure of truth. Because guess what? The enemy is not going to tell you his, his playlist. He's not going to tell you what's happening. He's not going to tell you what, what he's doing. But the truth that can be found in Christ is you can have a spirit of discernment. And when you hear something, you go, yeah, that's not true. Now, you have no way to know that's not true other than it, you bear witness to the truth. That's what Jesus said. I have come to bear witness to the truth. And so you're like, uh, that's a lie. I can't prove it a lot of times, but I know immediately that that's a lie. So what are we supposed to do? I'm just, this is an aside. The minute we know that, we start interceding. The minute we know that, we start praying. And we start asking the Lord, uncover it, uncover it, uncover it, uncover it. Right? And then all of a sudden, you see it on the news. Oh, that was a lie. Oh, that was a lie. Oh, that was a lie. And you're like, I actually just partnered with heaven to uncover the things that were covered. Amen? The truth will set us free. The truth covers a multitude of sin. Right? So, but the truth here is who is God? Who is God? Jesus is the truth about the, about the Father's personality. So Jesus is coming and he's saying, look, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, and we're about to get into that because Philip was like, um, in fact, let's just go there. Verse 7, Jesus says this, if you have known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Now, again, Philip is saying, what are you talking about? But he's saying this, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father, so how can you say, show us the Father? And so, honestly, if Jesus would have said that to me, even not understanding the fullness of what he's talking about, 
He was saying it as the father. Philip, have I been with you so long that you don't know me? And I mean, I think that would have run through me and through me and through me. But honestly, at this point, the disciples are like, what does that mean? What are you saying? That you are in the Father and the Father is in you? What? What? I mean, you're Jesus, so they knew Jesus. You're Jesus. You're the Messiah. I know you. You're the Son of God. I know you. But what are you saying? You are in the Father and the Father is in you. That what? Jesus, have I been with you? You're okay. You're in the Father. In verse 10, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, do you not, uh, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works. And so he's saying to them again, I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. But they have no concept of what he's even saying. They are so confused at this point. Jesus is actually talking to them about who he is as a man. He is not talking to them as who he is as God. Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. But what he's doing is he's trying to introduce the concept of what it is for man to be in God and God to be in man. And he's doing it and he's presenting himself in his humanity saying, I came to show you, to tell you, to display this this affection and this relationship between me and the Father. It is all about love, and it is all about communion that and, and union. I am in God, and God is in me. And they're like, okay, but how is that even possible? They can't conceptualize it yet because Pentecost hasn't happened. Again, he says this in verse 11, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. And so what is perplexing is that as a man, he is in this deep union with an uncreated, transcendent God. As a man, he is saying, listen, I'm not talking to you about me as God. I'm talking to you about me as man. What is so incredible is that as a man, I can be in union with the creator of the whole universe, that he actually lives on the inside of me. I, that, that would just blow me away. That is a new idea that's going to overwhelm and perplex them because the takeaway point is this. Again, Jesus was saying, in effect, I'm not just telling you so you will know how I relate to the Father as a man. I am telling you because it is parallel, the pattern of how you are going to relate to the Father in your humility. This idea of the new creation, 
in all of the history of humanity has never touched the consciousness of these men. Think about that for a minute. The enormity of what he was saying. Then he goes on to say, I am the life. Jesus is the supernatural life that enables us to tap into this new creation. We talked about this in chapter 15. He is the Zoe life. He is the power. He is what gives us the ability to walk this out with grace and joy and beauty and love. He is our supernatural supply and our resource to walk out the truth and the life. So let's look here more deeply at how he revealed himself, okay? So he's describing how to interact, and he said this, if you had understood my mission in verse 7, he's saying this, my relationship with the Father, you would have known or understood what the Father is desiring. He desires to relate to us in a deep and intimate way by the Spirit beyond anything that we can imagine. That is what the Father is after. He is after this union that can be found in verse 10. Do you not believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. And so he's saying, I don't even have, I'm not even, even though I'm God, I am still in humility submitted to the voice of my Father. I am still doing what he tells me to do because the Father is in me and I am in the Father. And so even the, the words, you can trust the words that you're hearing from me, but you can also trust the actions and the works that you're seeing from me, that they are initiated and birthed by the Father. You have watched me. What you have seen me do, I want you to understand. That's what I want you to go do. You will pray and you will have confidence that God is moved by your prayers. 1 Corinthians 15.45 says this about Jesus. The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Jesus was the picture of how man is filled with the spirit and relates to the Father. So the union between these two is so incredibly deep now, I want you to go to verse 20. Because again, they're saying, what does this mean? He says this, at that day, you will know that I am in the Father and you in me and I in you. So he just brought the two things together before he was saying, listen, I am in the Father, the Father is in me. And now in verse 20, he says, I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, and we are going to be in you. And they're like, what? Wait a minute. 
You just included us in that. You just told me that we're going to be brought into this beautiful relationship in a way that's so significant because you just said that, that everything that you've done is because you are in the Father and the Father's in you. And now you are saying that you're going to be in the Father, the Father's going to be in you, but we're going to be in you as well. Whoa. So he said in that day, so he already knows 50 days from that point is going to be Pentecost. He already knows that this is about to happen to this, and the, the spirit of the living God is going to hit them, and all of the sudden, whoo, they get brought into the new creation, the new man. They feel different. They think different. They see different. Everything changes. Amen. In that day. How many of you have had that in-day experience? In-that-day experience, right? Come on. And if you haven't, today is that day for you. Amen? So this gospel of John highlights five elements in the union between the Father and Jesus. Number one, it highlights their mind or their thinking. Number two, it highlights their heart and their feelings. Number three, it highlights their will or their values. Number four, it highlights their words that they speak. And number five, it highlights their works and their actions. In other words, they think, feel, value, they speak, and they act in ways that are in unity with the Father. This is who we are called to be. We cannot, we are people who slipstream behind the Father. What he's doing, what he's saying, what he's feeling, what he's thinking. We have an emotional God. Our emotions are brought under the leadership of God. We do not have emotions that get out of control or speak out of anger, right? Okay. Just for those of you who are on social media. How many of you have to erase most of what you re reply on social media? You're like, delete, 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 delete. I repent. And he tells us here in verse 12, he says this, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these will he do because I go to my Father. So what is he saying there, the greater works? We always think, oh, yeah, you walked on water. Let me tell you what, I'm going to walk on, I don't know, a tsunami. Right, maybe, but... What he's saying there is actually because I go to my father, meaning the greatest work and the greatest miracle of all is salvation. I go to my father, and now I'm going to come and live on the inside of you, and that is the greatest thing of all. That's the greatest miracle of all. When he came into my heart, that was the greatest miracle of all. Because if you would have known me beforehand, you would have been like, oh, I don't know. I don't know how that's going to happen. But the minute that he came, man, 
As my kids said, I went from zero to show far overnight. I was like, why didn't everybody tell me that this God is alive? I just thought he was a bunch of rules. I was like, no one wants to follow rules. I was a rule breaker. You know, I don't want to do that. He didn't, they didn't say that my heart would be captivated by love to the degree that I could no longer live the way I lived, but I just had to be overwhelmed every day with this love. I mean, I changed my email. Come on. How many of you were there? Second Corinthians 3.17. I actually spelled it out, which I will forever regret. I was like, C-O-R-I-N-T-H-I-A-N-S to everybody, including the lady at, you know, whoever's on the phone, like at AT AT&T or whoever. I was like, C-O-R-I-N-T-H-I-A-N-S. Yeah, okay, anyway. But, you know, when you get saved, people are going to know you're saved. Because you are genuinely like a different creation. And, and, and I had, you, how many of you put like 50 crosses on your wall? Like I, that was going to keep the demons out or something. I, I was like, people would come in and be like, wow, you got a lot of crosses in your house. I'm a believer. Are you? You want to know Jesus? Thank goodness for Pinterest. All right, so. Verse 12 says this, that the fruit of this union is going to be miracles. Miracles. You go and you pray for somebody with coronavirus and they get healed right there. Like their pain is here and now it's here. It was here, now it's here. All right? That's what we need to be doing. We get to live a life of miracles just like Jesus did. You got to go find the sick people. They're not going to show They're not like the UPS guy. Okay, you got to go find them. And I want you to ask the Lord, do you want me to go heal people with coronavirus? And look, here's what I want to challenge you to do. I want you to not only go heal them, I want you to get somebody to record you healing them. I want you to put that on Facebook. Bam. I don't care what your statistics say. The more sick people there are, the more people I get to heal. Amen? All right. So... A life of miracles. All right. Verse 13 and 14. And whatever you ask in my name, I will do for you, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Okay, well, that sounds pretty good. So he's talking about answered prayers. Man, I don't know about you, but I don't want to pray and then never see any fruit of my prayers. I want to pray and see something happen. Like, we, we were out last night at this event, and I was like, whoo, it's like 100 degrees out here. And I looked at John, and I was like, we need to change the temperature. And he's like, yeah, let's do it. So what are you thinking? I was like, I don't know. I'm thinking low 90s. What do you think? You know, and he's like, I don't know. What do you, I think maybe less than that. Okay, well, let's, you know, I don't know, 87 or, or low 90s. So we, we kind of vacillated back and forth. You got to be real specific with your prayers because that vacillating didn't, it didn't get me the 87. It got me the 91, but I'll take 91. Amen. So the temperature dropped about eight degrees. Why? Because again, we are people When we abide, we get answered prayers. When you don't abide, guess what happens? Good luck. 
Sorry. I mean, you know, God's going to answer those. I just got saved and I, and I just need help and I haven't really learned yet. He loves the immature prayers as well. And he, he's going he's gonna to come. But I'm telling you, as a mature believer, if he's like, if you're still begging me for help, you don't know the authority that you walk in. You need to grow up. And I'm telling you right now, believers, this is a prophetic word to the church right now. I just hear it from the Holy Spirit. He is saying, I am not doing a worship movement. I am not doing a prayer movement. I am doing a maturity movement. I am growing my church up, and it is happening fast. And he's saying, it is time for you to take your position in me and begin to declare to the temperature, you got to come down because I'm having a party. Anything you desire, anything you desire, he said. All right? That was important to me, and he knows it. All right, verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. He's going to abide with you how long? Forever. All right, so he's talking about this power and leadership of the indwelling spirit. He's talking about obedient love. He doesn't need people to be obedient just for the sake of being obedient. He's looking for lovers. Love should draw us to say yes to God, no matter what the cost. John and I, years ago, we said that prayer. We said, God, we want to live an exceptional life in you. And the next week, he lost his job. (laughs) Right, babe? We were like, okay, that's not exactly what I had in mind. But I'm telling you, it's a thing. Having an exceptional life in God, if you want to have a life where you're just like, I'm driving through the carpool line. I'm just living a common life. We're not called to be common. Again, we are called to be wild. A wild bride, wildly in love, passionately in love, going around, setting the captives free, having all the fun. Everybody else is going to be like, that church, they're having all the fun. And I love, look, I love God's teaching ministry. I love the ministry of teaching. But you have been taught enough. Really. How much more do you need to know? (laughs) So the enemy, say the enemy, that stinking guy, he only knows like two good tricks, right? Lying and trying to get us scared through lying. The enemy seeks to disrupt our ongoing conversation with Jesus through busyness, anxiety, fear, and frustration because he knows that fruit bearing comes from maintaining a dialogue with the Father. If you're not plugged in, you're not reproducing. If you're not plugged in, you're not reproducing. You're just that lamp that sits there without your, your your outlet in the socket. So the enemy wants to disrupt this. He does not want us to get a vision for it at all. In calling to abide in Christ, Jesus uh, elaborated on us being connected with him as the life source. But remember what he started off with with chapter 14. He said, do not 
let your heart be troubled. I'm going to be in you, and you're going to be in me, and we all are going to be one. And I want you to think about that today because you're not alone. Because he said, I'm going to send the helper, and the helper is going to lead you into all truth, all life, and he's going to show you the way. You don't have to be afraid of coronavirus. And beloved, let me tell you something. Much worse than coronavirus is going to come. You get that Ebola thing, whatever. It doesn't matter. The spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives on the inside of us. If it would have been Ebola and the Lord said, go, I would have gone. I mean, honestly, we can't lose at all. We got the new Jerusalem to look forward to. I'm just going to be in my heavenly body faster, and I'm pretty sure my heavenly body's in its 30s. Right? Come on. I don't need to go see the doctor anymore. <laughs> nope. No more work. All right, so the Christian faith can be outworked in two very different lifestyles. Again, you're either going to be abiding or you're going to be in religion. Amen? So here's the thing about abiding. The beauty of abiding is it's such an incredibly fruitful life, but nobody's going to understand you, okay? Nobody gets you. Everybody thinks the things that you do are crazy, weird, whatever. The things that you believe, like when I, when I told some of my kids that I was going to go, you know, I've got a bunch of grandkids. I've got a bunch of new grandkids, okay? You tell these moms that just had babies, hey, I'm going to go pray for this person with coronavirus. It's like, <laughs> right? But again, I am 100% absolutely convinced in what the word says and that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So what Jesus is talking about here in John chapter 14 and 15 is biblical Christianity. And he's saying this is the way, this is the way, it's the only way. This is the sincerity of the true Christians. And I'm sorry just to say it like it is, but if you ain't praying, if you're not connected to the vine, I want to encourage you right now, get in prayer. Get in prayer. Get connected to the one. And, and we don't have time to mess around anymore with, with, with anything else than the real thing. Because it will be life and death. And like he said to those who, uh, to, to the, the, uh, the wise and foolish virgins about the oil in their lamp, you better get oil in your lamp right now. Now's the time. If you wait any longer, this thing is not going to get better. We're rolling into this. And great, granted, it's going to be the great day of the Lord for those who are abiding. But it's going to be the terrible day of the Lord for those who are not. And those who are not, I have, you know, I have a burden in my heart for those believers who don't abide. Because it says in the Bible, there will be a great falling away. And it's not a great falling away of unbelievers. It's a great falling away of believers. Because they don't abide. Amen and amen. All right, let's stand. 
And so I want to encourage you today, if this is your first time to be in a, uh, in a church with a bunch of wild people, I want to encourage you today that Jesus loves you. And I believe that today is your day to give your life to the Lord. If you are invited here by somebody, I want to ask you on behalf of Jesus to come into the family of God. And there is a family here that you can run with. There is a God that you can submit to. There is a God who will love you, not like a human love, but like a supernatural love. And I believe that today is your day to come into the kingdom and come into the family of God. If you want to see miracles in your life, if you want peace in your life, if you want true love in your life, if you want to enter into a rest that doesn't have fear associated with it, then I want you to come up today. I want you to give your life to the Lord today. And I'm just going to ask, and I want all of you to agree with me. Just bow your heads right now. Holy Spirit, just agree with me. Every believer in this room, Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you stir yourself up in anyone in this room that doesn't know you yet? Would you stir up the Spirit in them? And draw them to your heart. Draw them to your life. And I ask that in the name of Jesus. And Father, I ask that everyone else here, God, I pray that you would help them to cultivate this life of abiding. God, I thank you that you have not called us into a stale and boring religion, God, but of a life that is exceptional, a life that is filled with love and passion and power and joy and peace. God, I thank you that this is our portion. And we just say and declare today, thank you, Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for bringing us into your family. And everybody said, amen.